Hello. Welcome back to Matt's Music Class, the podcast for learning to understand music. This is lesson three, and today we're going to learn about some pretty advanced concepts in both rhythm and meter, after reviewing what we've learned about them already from last time. And then we'll finally start adding the most basic sound ingredient to our time elements, and that is, of course, pitch. First off, let's listen to some music, warm up our listening ears, and uh, see if you can pick out anything in these examples that jogs your memory of concepts we've explored in the first two lessons. I'm going to play three clips right in a row. You'll notice they are examples of very different styles of music, yet all three of them have been prevalent in at least parts of the United States for a little over a century. Some things you should listen for are, where's the beat? Is it being sounded, like by the background notes or instruments? Or is it just implied by the rhythms? Can you notice any rhythms you've actually learned in rhythm syllables, like ta or takadimi? And finally, see if you can figure out the meter, which you'll recall is the number of beats in each cycle of beats, which is created by periodic stronger beats that are either implied by the rhythms or emphasized by background note patterns. For example, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Or, one, two, three, 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 one, two, three. Or, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay, here's some music for you to warm up your listening skills. Did you notice what order these clips were in? They were in increasing order of their meters. The first one, a ragtime piano piece, was in a meter of two. Now, ragtime was invented in the late 19th century United States, and it's generally thought of as a fusion of African traditional and European classical rhythmic sensibilities. If you listen to the notes being played, mostly by the pianist's left hand, you can hear that one, two, one, two pattern made by alternating a low note with a bunch of higher notes played simultaneously called chords. And that was the boom, chuck, boom, chuck pattern underneath the melody, which was being played by the right hand 
um, with the highest notes. And it was the part of the song that was sounding out the beat as well as the meter. Very steady and march-like the whole time. That steady, precise uh, beat in the background um, is super important for ragtime style because it allows the melody notes to create and play around with a rhythmic tension by putting important emphasized notes from the melody either just before a beat or just after a beat, and that tension between the super restrained and regimented left-hand patterns and the free, surprising right-hand melody rhythms is always out in the open. It's always being sounded. And that's what ragtime is all about. And indeed, that's what the name ragtime actually kind of refers to. Rag, the flexible rhythms of the melody. Time, strict marching pattern. Ragtime. The second clip was the archetypal highbrow European classical courtly dance, be careful not to get your ruffled sleeves in a tangle, called the minuet. Like all minuets, it was in a meter of three, although the beat and the meter were, all, were mostly implied. But the frequent alternation of the long note, ta, with the beat note, ta, gave us a pretty clear three-beat cycle. Ta, 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 one, two, three, one, two, three. Of course, unlike most minuets, this one was written for lots of brass instruments, which are very loud and probably wouldn't be appreciated in the court dance inside Versailles or something. Uh, that's because it comes from a set of pieces written for an outdoor fireworks festival in London held by King George II in the middle of the 18th century. And the third clip was an exciting arrangement of an African-American spiritual, which is a type of song characteristically in a meter of four. I hope you noticed the melody's prominent use of takademis on the words middle of the air. Way up in the middle of the air was ta ta demi takademi ta. Now the African-American spiritual as a genre is one of America's greatest treasuries of folk music. It developed from an oral tradition of songs that extol Christian Bible stories and belief tenets in the context of the hardships of being enslaved and exploited. These songs were used to communicate hope and coded messages to people seeking freedom on the Underground Railroad. And over the last couple centuries, they have been arranged, quoted, and reinterpreted by countless musicians for all kinds of performance contexts. This recording was a pretty complex choral arrangement, but you can find spirituals arranged for orchestras, bands, jazz combos, all kinds of things. What's great is that the pure, simple beauty of the original spirituals' melodies always shines through in any context, which is probably why they're such a popular wellspring of melodic inspiration. Okay, so that's our review of meters of 2, 3, and 4, which we learned about last lesson. And the other thing we learned last lesson was a combination of the concepts of meter and subdivisions of the beat. So it's like taking a magnifying glass and zooming in on the beat and saying, can we make different groupings within a beat? Um, and so what we discovered was the option of subdividing the beat into three equal shorter sounds, takide, 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 ta, instead of two shorter sounds, ta di ta di ta di ta. And that shift of gears in what's underlying the beat gives us access to two new basic rhythms, takide and ta de, which sound like takide, ta de, ta de, ta. And it also imbues the music's sense of movement with the qualities of lilting and skipping, which are also characteristic of limericks and jigs. There was a young lady of ride. De taki de taki de ta. At the end of lesson two, I played you a couple clips, both classical style duets, but one had an underlying taki de feel, and the other had the bit more common ta di feel. Could you tell which was which? 
The one I wrote, the recorded duet, used mostly takadimis and tadis, so it was the technical term, simple meter piece, the tadi feel. Takadimi tadi, tadi tadi, takadimi takadimi tadi ta. The second piece, the violin duet by Playel, used mostly ta days and taki days, so it was in the taki day feel, and the technical term for that is compound meter, as opposed to simple meter. Let's listen to another song in the Takide feel and try to be aware of both the beat and the underlying subdivision of Takide's as you listen to this nice fast iris jig. I always find this rhythmic slash metric feel so infectious that I suspect it gives me a bit of an endorphin buzz even when I'm just sitting and listening. Unless you think this takide feel is only to be found in European musics, have a listen to what these musicians from Uzbekistan do with the takide feel in this performance of a tale from the Central Asian epic cycle called Gorokhli. I apologize again for my lack of pronunciation expertise. Although the sounds of those instruments and vocal style may be unfamiliar to you, the takide feel was pretty clear from the singer's melody as well as the plucked stringed instruments prominent at the beginning, which by the way are called the tar and the dutar. Fun fact, the word tar is the Persian word from which we get guitar and sitar, and it just means string. I really enjoy how this music makes heavy use of the sort of reverse ta-de. It often ends phrases with a taki, where the second syllable is the long one instead of the first. So like taki de ta de taki taki instead of taki de ta de ta de ta. Just gives the rhythms a nice sense of punctuation to my ear. I also love listening to that boomy frame drum with all sorts of little shorter sounds in between the main taps that emphasize the meter. It's the little things, you know. Okay, so now that we've listened to some cool examples, it's time to actually do some rhythm stuff ourselves. As you'll recall, your homework was to make up and practice a second rhythm sequence in the Tadi feel, and design it to be mostly different from your first rhythm sequence you made up for lesson one. We're going to work with that second rhythm sequence to start out, and to demonstrate everything, I've made up my own sequence that follows the same rules. So if you didn't make up your own, or you don't remember it, uh, I'll let you use mine, free of charge. So my first rhythm sequence, from all the way back in lesson one, was right? And before starting to make up my second rhythm sequence, I chose one of the rhythms from the first sequence to kind of import into the second to make sure at least one spot would be the same rhythm in both sequences, because that was one of the rules of the assignment. For that, 
I somewhat randomly chose the toddy on the sixth beat to fulfill that function of being the same rhythm in the same spot in both rhythm sequences. So once I had that chosen, it was just a matter of going through each beat and making sure that if in the first sequence there were short notes, for example, I'd put longer notes for that spot in the second, and vice versa. So my whole second rhythm sequence goes ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. And notice how there's a, a rest replacing the first syllable in a ta, di on the seventh beat there. Now I'm going to tap the beat with my hand and say the rhythm sequence, just like I was just doing, uh, but I'm going to repeat it several times. I want you to join me in tapping the beat and speaking the rhythm when you're ready. So once you've got a feel for it and you think you can do it with me at the same time. Our goal for now is to get this rhythm as solidly into your ear as possible. Here we go. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di, ta. Ta, 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 ka, di, mi, ta, di, di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta excellent the next step is we're going to speak the rhythm again but instead of tapping the beat i want you to try to keep being solidly aware of the beat in your body but tap the rhythm that you're speaking so in other words your hands should match the rhythms that you're saying and the beat has kind of gone underground into your body awareness. It's very much like a mindfulness exercise. Before we say and tap the rhythm sequence though, a few general things about tapping rhythms with your hands. When you need to tap really short rhythms, like takadimis, it may be easiest to alternate between your left and right hands for those short ones, rather than trying to move your dominant hand really quickly to get all those taps in with just one hand. So if I try to do takadimis with just one hand, takadimi, 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 my hand gets tired quickly and it's much more difficult than if I take advantage of my body's bilateralness and alternate hands right left right left or left right left right. Also keep in mind that for your hands to do a ta, the long note stretching over two beats, you'll want to slide the hand across some surface. It could be your other hand, your arm, a desk, the head of a drum, whatever, and make sure the slide goes slowly enough to last for all two beats like this. Ta, ta. And finally, remember to say that little rest on the seventh beat in your mind, or out loud, but just make sure not to tap with your hand on the rest, because it's supposed to be a spicy little moment of negative space silence, right? Okay, so the beat is in your body, stay mindful, the rhythm is in your hands, and your voice. Join in when you're ready. Ta, ta, Ta ta ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta ta 
ta ta ta ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta 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 ka di mi ta di di ta. Okay, now it may seem like overkill, but we're gonna actually do the same exact thing again because I want these rhythms to be really super solid in your mind and your body. So we're gonna do the same thing again, but this time. I'm not going to say the rhythms out loud. I'm just going to play along with you while you speak the rhythms and tap them with your hands. And make sure that the your hand slide on the ta is really smooth and lasts all the way through both beats, so that you keep your hand moving until the very just before the very next beat after the ta ta like that. Okay, here we go. Alright, now let's test how solid this rhythm has become. Your job is to keep repeating this rhythm exactly as we just did. Beat in your body, say the rhythms out loud, tap the rhythms with your hands. While you're doing that, and I'll start off playing along with you for the first couple iterations, I'm going to do something completely different to try to distract you. That's not really my goal, but it will be distracting, so try your best to stay focused on your own rhythm tapping. And the secret to that is to take advantage of what seems to be kind of a biological truth about all of us, which is that we all love the sound of our own voice. So really speak the rhythms aloud and pay attention to your own voice, no matter what you hear me doing. That'll keep you focused. All right, let's try it. You got this. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, dimi ta di ta. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, dimi ta di ta. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, dimi ta di ta. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, dimi ta di ta. How did that go for you? Was it a real challenge? Was it a cinch? Now this is probably one of the most challenging things I'm ever going to ask you to do. So don't feel bad if you got lost and couldn't maintain your rhythm the whole time. It's a very, very challenging thing for anybody to do. But because it's so challenging, and now that we know what we're up against, we're going to get a second try at it. So I'm going to do exactly the same thing again, and try not to get distracted by my voice, but keep speaking your rhythms aloud and really concentrate on your own voice. Now, if you found it really easy the first time, try doing it again. But this time, don't speak the rhythms aloud. Just tap them. While I'm trying to distract you with my rhythms, here we go again. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, dimi ta di ta. Taka dimi ta di, taka dimi ta, 
Whoa, that was cool. Did you notice what I was doing while you tapped your part? I just layered my first rhythm sequence on top of it. We tapped both rhythm sequences at the same time. Now, you can take a break from tapping along if you like. I just want you to listen to what happens, what it feels like, when these two rhythm sequences, each mildly interesting on its own, are played at the same time. I'm going to play the first one. Takadimitadi, takadimita, dimitadi, ta, on my tambourine. And you might notice that for the ta, I actually just shake the tambourine for two beats so that there's a constant jingling sound for that length. And I'm going to overdub that with me playing the second rhythm sequence, the one you were tapping, on my djembe drum. As you listen, see if you can kind of switch your attention back and forth between the two sequences fluidly enough to sort of be following both at the same time. Here it is. Now this layering of different rhythm sequences to create the effect of like multiple bands in a larger rhythmic bandwidth has a technical term which is actually pretty self-explanatory. It's called polyrhythm. Poly as in polygon, polytheism, polymath, polyglot, meaning many, and rhythm meaning, well, rhythm. Polyrhythm is a practically ubiquitous technique in music traditions all over the world. There are very few styles or genres of music that do not avail themselves of at least some amount of this rhythmic layering effect, and it's easy to hear why. Take a short repeating rhythm sequence, and it almost doesn't even matter how simple the rhythm patterns are, layer a different sequence on, of rhythms on top of it, using a different instrument of course to clarify the distinct bands in the bandwidth if you want, and you've just increased how interesting this music is almost exponentially. From a musician's perspective, polyrhythm is such a tempting thing to do that unless there's an overriding reason to avoid it, like, for instance, if the music must be used solely as an aid to spiritual meditation or a solemn religious ritual, you're almost certainly going to throw in some amount of polyrhythm, or at least intimation of polyrhythm, into the mix. And developing the listening skill of fluidly shifting your attention through all the different bands in a polyrhythmic texture so that you can perceive how all these rhythm patterns are fitting together, playing off of and responding to each other, all through the same timeline, is one of the most satisfying ways I've found to listen to most types of music. It really opens the door to appreciating the unique direction and approach to this same very cool musical concept slash technique that each music culture in the world has taken. So let's listen to a couple examples of polyrhythm from different parts of the world. Now usually when musicians talk about polyrhythm, the archetypal music culture from, for this term comes from West Africa. The traditional musics of Ghana, Nigeria, Gabon, pretty much all down the west coast of the continent. And that's because the traditional drumming music of these regions would definitely get my nomination for the most rhythmically advanced and complex music in the world. It doesn't just take polyrhythm to the heights of complexity. It simultaneously plays around with polymeter, 
which we will learn about eventually, but not today. So that's why I'm not going to play you an example of West African drumming at the moment, just because it's very challenging to perceive and make sense of poly the polyrhythms, even though they will blow your mind once you've had a lot of practice with them. Nonetheless, other parts of the world have also done cool things with polyrhythm, and I've got a couple examples that hopefully will be clear enough that you'll be able to hear the different bands in the texture and practice monitoring many or all of them as you listen. The first one is really very similar to what we just did with our two rhythm sequences. It's from Sumatra, the big Indonesian island just south of Malaysia and Singapore, and it's a recording of two Patalangan musicians sitting facing each other on either side of a five-keyed xylophone called a gambang. And so you can imagine them sharing these five keys, each one's mallets having to carefully avoid the others as they create a relatively simple but delightful polyrhythm. Have a listen. Did you notice that there were really just two relatively short repeating rhythm sequences being layered there? It was a lot like our polyrhythm exercise. It was a bandwidth made up of two bands, and musicians call this a two-part or two-voice texture. So texture is the bandwidth, and the voices or parts are the bands. Of course, the different xylophone keys added the element of pitch, making them not just rhythms, but melodies. And since it was all played on the one xylophone, the two different sequences were sometimes tricky to follow separately, but that just makes a fun kind of rhythm illusion for anyone trying to listen to and follow one of the melodies at a time. You'll suddenly find yourself following the other melody, and you weren't even aware of when your perception switched. And it's even more fun for the musicians playing together because it requires so much focus and mental processing with thousands of tiny adjustments in timing to sync up with your duet partner and keep your own sequence not just going in relation to itself, but also interlocking with the other sequence, that it very quickly and readily becomes an experience of what psychologists call a flow state. It's a very cool experience because it feels like you're just watching yourself almost effortlessly make these intricate movements and sound patterns without consciously thinking about it. It's just pure action. That's why the musicians in this recording play this type of music as often for their own amusement at home as for dances and concerts in an ensemble with drums and gongs. It's something you can even do with the two rhythm sequences you've made up. Just find a friend, teach them to play one of your rhythms on pretty much anything, a drum, a desk, a water bottle, and you play the other rhythm at the same time on a different instrument. As long as you can both keep your awareness solidly on the same beat and focus on your own voice saying the rhythms at the same time, that'll make it a lot easier, uh, you'll get better and better at locking in together, and soon enough, you'll be communicating and communing together with music. I highly recommend it. Now I want to listen to one more example of polyrhythm before we go back to an advanced way of using meter. This recording comes from my childhood home, Puerto Rico, and it's in the Jibaro style, which just means it's the traditional music of the people from the inland mountains of Puerto Rico who, who are called Jibaros. This music is very much influenced by West African music, as indeed is most music in all the Americas. So you'll hear it's quite a bit more complex than the first example, 
but you may still be able to pick out the four rhythmic voices that make up the whole texture because each is played by a different instrument. You'll hear a melody playing lots of takademi rhythms, except they won't usually sound like takademis because they'll be filled with lots of short rests, replacing most of the takademi syllables. And that's going to be a ten-stringed Puerto Rican guitar-like instrument called the cuatro. Then playing low, long notes, you'll hear a bass guitar, and it's usually going to be playing just a tiny bit before the beat, which gives the whole rhythmic sense a certain excitement and propulsion. And then you'll hear a sort of metallic scraping sound from the percussion instrument called a guiro, and its rhythms are the most unpredictable as it changes its licks pretty frequently in response to gaps in the melody. And finally, underneath it all is a surprisingly straightforward ta-di-ta-di rhythm from bongos though the low and high bongos work to add interest to this uh, steady rhythm by changing which syllable in the pattern is emphasized by the different tones that the bongo can make. So see if you can notice each of these voices in this really complex, exciting texture, and try to always keep it anchored in your awareness of the beat that most of the instruments here are so deftly avoiding in their rhythms. Enjoy. Okay, next we're going to switch gears a bit and remember how we started this lesson by reviewing what we know about meter. Strong beats coming every two, three, or four beats making a sense that there's a larger movement of the beat in terms of cycles or groupings of the steady pulse. Now the basic meters, which are probably the most common, are made by strong beats coming every fixed number of beats, which is why we use those numbers to describe that meter, two, three, four. But many music traditions have asked the question, why does it have to be a fixed number? What if we mix the number of pulses between strong beats and create meters that are actually like combinations of 2 plus 3, or 3 plus 3 plus 2 plus 2? Let's see what that sounds and feels like. Here is a deceptively simple game that actually takes quite a bit of concentration. We're going to count a mixed meter pattern together, and the pattern is this. We're going to count a meter of 3 twice, so we'll say one, two, three, one, two, three. And then without stopping or changing the pulse, we'll then switch and count a meter of two twice. So one, two, one, two. And just alternate between meter of three and meter of two for two bars each. And bar is what musicians uh, generally use to refer to a cycle of beats. Um, another word for it is measure. So we'll do meter of three for two measures, or two bars, and meter of two for two measures or two bars, and just repeat that pattern over and over again. So the whole pattern will go like this. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. And while we repeat that whole counting pattern, we have to tap on our leg or desk or whatever it is every time we say the number one. So let's try it slowly first. Join in when you've got the hang of it. 
Okay, now that we're familiar with the pattern, we're going to speed it up all the way to the point where the pulses are going so fast that they don't feel like pulses anymore, but they're going to feel like subdivisions instead. So it's like we're slowly zooming out a level in our perception of what the beat is. It's going to start out feeling like each number is, a pul is the beat. By the time we're counting fast enough, try to notice how suddenly just the strong beats, the number ones, will feel like the beat. Do your best to keep up. Here we go. One, two, three, one, two, Exciting, no? And when you start feeling that the beat is now actually these strong beats, and that the beat is now changing its length every other bar or cycle, it's almost as if a rhythm pattern is actually being used as though it were a meter. The pattern we just did could be described as long, long, short, short. Because the first two strong beats, which are now just the beat, last for three of the underlying even pulses, which now feel like subdivisions, and the second two strong beats last for only two underlying pulses. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, plus three, plus two, plus two. Now this might be confusing, but one way to think about this is like, if you remember our Takide feel, subdivides the beat into three short even pulses. Takide, one, two, three, Takide, Takide, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the more common Tadi feel subdivides the beat into two short even pulses. Tadi, Tadi, one, two, one, two. This mixed meter thing we just did is like creating a larger cycle consisting of four beats where the first two beats are in the Takide feel and the second two beats are in the Tadi feel and it never changes the length of the subdivisions. Takide, takide, tari, tari, takide, takide, tari, tari. And just by the way, in Western European music notation, we would technically call this a meter of 10 8. The, number, uh, the bottom number of the fraction 8 is a conventional way of referring to the subdivisions, of which there are a total of 10 in each cycle. 3 plus 3 is 6, 6 plus 2 plus 2 is 10. Uh, 10 short, even pulses per cycle. That's all that means. But of course, that leaves out the fact that it will feel like there are four beats, and the beats are just different lengths. But probably the simplest way to think about it is the way it's generally described by the musicians from music cultures that use these, what we call, asymmetrical meters. Which is usually something along the lines of, well, it's just four beats, two long and two short. Long, long, short, short, long, long, short, short. That's just the beat to them, and it's very straightforward. Listen to this Armenian love song called Sirun Akchik, 
and see if you can follow its meter. It's very similar to the pattern we just did, except in instead of being four beats, too long and too short, it's going to be three beats, too long and one short. So it'll be one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Now this flexible approach to meter, which allows for beats of different lengths to coexist within each cycle, and makes Western music notation awkwardly write meters of 10 and 7 and 13, even though they really feel like meters of 4, 3, and 5 just with a mix of different beat lengths, opens the door to lots of very exciting and eminently danceable rhythmic feels. Some of the most common are long, short, short, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2. Then there's long, short, long, short, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And then short, 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 long, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. Then there's long, long, short, 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 long, long, short, 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 one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two. And of course, any of these patterns can actually be reversed. In, even in the middle of the same song. So instead of long, short, short, you could all of a sudden throw in one cycle of short, short, long, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. Now let me play you a couple examples of how asymmetrical meter can take a song that you probably wouldn't peg for an exciting dance tune and just inject it with a lively sense of self-propulsion. First, I'll play the standard version of the tune. You'll probably recognize it. And then I'll play the exact same pitches in the same order, but just manipulating the lengths of the notes to fit into an asymmetrical meter. See if you can figure out the pattern of long and short beats in each new meter. Here you go. Okay, so that first tune was the ever-popular Welsh Christmas carol, Deck the Halls, first in its normal meter of four. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Then in the asymmetrical meter of long, short, short. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Which is usually notated as 7-8. 
And that arrangement is tricky because every third bar or cycle, it actually uses the reverse pattern of short, short, long, and then switches right back. And then the second tune was the famous American Civil War song, When Johnny Comes Marching Home. First in a meter of two with the takide feel. One, two, takide, takide. When Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah. And then with the meter that's very common in South American dance forms, long, long, short, 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 long, long, short, short, short. When Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah, we'll give him a hearty welcome, then hurrah, hurrah. And that meter is commonly notated as just alternating between meter of two, taki de feel, known as 6-8, and a regular meter of three, which sounds a little bit convoluted, but it all works out in the spacing on the page. You can take my word for it. Now let's hear another uh, example of asymmetrical meter from a classic jazz composition by Dave Brubeck. And Dave Brubeck was a jazz pianist whose time in the military during World War II sent him to lots of places in the world where he fell in love with all the asymmetrical meters he heard and used them frequently in his jazz compositions. This is one of his most famous tunes called Blue Rondo a la Turk, and it would be notated as a meter of 9-8, but really it's mostly the pattern short, 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 long. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. And then every fourth bar or cycle, it switches to a pattern of three longs before going back again to the original pattern. So it'll start out with three cycles of one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, and then switch to one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then go back one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. See if you can follow that pattern as you listen to it. Here it is. Okay, now we've gotten as advanced as we need to for now in exploring the elements of musical time, which are of course beat, rhythm, and meter. All the materials in these first three lessons should provide you with a lot to think about, practice, create, and listen for, so your only homework assignment for rhythm will be to go through the same process we did earlier in solidifying my second toddy feel rhythm sequence with any or all of the rhythm sequences you have made up so far. You can choose your first or second toddy feel rhythm sequences or your takide rhythm sequence, but pick one or more of them and solidify it to the point where you can just tap the rhythm on an instrument or your leg or something while speaking it in your mind and being super aware of the beat in your body. Start by tapping the beat and saying the rhythm, then put the beat inside your body awareness and tap the rhythm while saying it out loud, and then if you have that really super solid, try saying tapping the rhythm and only saying it in your mind so that the only sound coming out will actually just be your tapping. As many times as you need to, as slow as you need to, just make sure you can perform your rhythms with accuracy to the beat. So now we're going to leave time alone for a bit, but we won't be gone long at all, and jump into the other big ingredient that makes music what it is, sound. Of course, we've been working with sounds all this time because that was the main way we made musical time concrete, by tapping or clapping or speaking sounds, right? Well, now, I want you to briefly think about the possibilities of what you can do with sound without time. Just sound by itself. How can you modify it and make clear, discernible modulations in sound itself? 
you can probably get to some pretty deep insights about the nature of reality by meditating intensely on sound itself. But we don't need to go that deep for our purposes today. I think the most salient, though not necessarily the most obvious, feature of sound when it comes to music is generally the property of how high or how low it is. Sound can go up and sound can go down. We actually use this feature every day when we talk to each other. We're going home? We're going home. Same words, very different meanings. Now, if you were able to tell the difference between those two sentences, I don't care how bad or clumsy a singer you think you are, you are not tone deaf. In fact, if you can understand most of a normal conversation, you actually have a very finely tuned perception of tone in at least one particular context, and that means, at the very least, you have something you can build on. So let's start building at the very beginning. I want you to imagine a minimal two-axis graph. There's a vertical line on the left which meets at a 90-degree angle with a horizontal line across the bottom. The x-axis, the horizontal line at the bottom, goes from left to right, and it is a timeline. The y-axis, the vertical line on the left side, goes from low to high, and it measures how high the sound is. Your job is to trace in the air with your finger or on a piece of paper with an actual drawing of this graph the line that shows three sounds that I'm about, to, I'm about to make. So we'll do three different graphs and one graph for each sound. If it helps, you can mimic each sound echoing after me before you trace the picture of it, but you don't have to, and it actually makes this task more difficult for some people, so if you find that's the case, don't worry, it's as natural as being left-handed. It's not common, but it's not a bad thing at all. So your first graph should be a picture of this sound. And then the second graph will be a picture of this sound. And the last graph should be this one. Now if your graphs look the way I think about these sounds, then the first one would be a line that starts high on the left side and smoothly slopes downward to the lowest point as it moves from left to right. So the sound went smoothly and continuously from high to low. The second graph would be a mirror image of the first, going smoothly from low to high. And the third would actually look like four discrete horizontal lines, each one farther to the right than the last, with the first and third way up high, and the second and fourth way down low. If you had to guess, which of these graphs would be most likely to correspond with something like a melody? If you were to draw a graph of this melody I'm about to sing, would it look more like the first two graphs, or would it look more like the third graph? Yeah, most music, though by no means all music, sounds like it could be pictured by the third type of graph, with discrete dashes that don't really swirl or bend up and down very much within themselves, and when a song wants to go higher or lower, it would use a new discrete line at a higher or lower position on the height axis, and of course farther to the right on the time axis. So the technical term for those discrete positions on the y-axis, that vertical axis, uh, the particular locations of how high or how low a sound is, is pitch. When talking casually, people often call them the notes, and even I do that sometimes, but technically the definition of a note includes both, high, uh, both how high it is and how long it is. In other words, both its pitch and its rhythm. 
So I'll do my best to talk about the pitch of something when I'm just referring to its particular location on the height axis, how high or how low it is, but nobody's perfect, so, you know. Now the graphs we just imagined or made are really the prototype for the standard Western music notation system that, its awkward adaptations to asymmetrical meters notwithstanding, is actually an excellent and even relatively flexible tool for preserving and disseminating music across time and space. If you look at a typical page of sheet music with this standard music notation, you'll see it's organized into areas of five horizontal lines somewhat close to each other going across the page from left to right, and this five-line area is called the music staff. And it's really just like if you take the measurement ticks on the y-axis of your graph uh, and then extend every other one from left to right across the graph to make it easier to see which particular tick corresponds to one of your dashes in the middle of the graph, that's all those lines are there for, to make it easier to see the exact pitch of any given note. Those five lines serve exactly the same function as latitude lines on a map. And in the music notation, you might also notice that the black dots are spread out from left to right, just as if they're following one another on the x-axis timeline. So if you look at notated music like it's really just a miniature version of the graph you just created to draw a picture of my pitch sounds, you've taken the first step to learning how to read music. So the idea of the graph that can show both the length of a sound and how high it is, that's our first thinking tool for understanding pitch. Our second thinking tool is actually going to be your homework. I want you to play around a bit with one of the most successful and ubiquitous thinking tools for conceptualizing music, although it certainly has as many serious limitations as music notation, and that is the keyboard. It might seem strange, but I want you not to think about the piano keyboard as a musical instrument, but as a diagram of a pitch system which will be just our starting point for understanding how pitch works in general and in actual music all over the world. Your homework is to find, buy, borrow, or quote-unquote acquire, I won't ask any questions, an instrument that uses the standard piano-type keyboard with black keys nestled in between and set back from white keys. It doesn't have to be an acoustic piano, though if you have one at home, uh, that'll probably work as long as it's in tune. Uh, but there are actually a number of small, cheap, even toy instruments that feature the standard keyboard as part of their design. My personal favorite for teaching, and thus the one I recommend most highly for these lessons, is the melodica. It's great because it's small and portable, it's got a, gr a pretty big range, so it's got a decent number of keys, most have about 32 keys. It's a wind instrument, which means you can play long notes and their sound actually lasts as long as you have the air to keep them going, which is something the piano always wished it could do, but alas. It's pretty easy to play, and it's got a nice plaintive sound just like the harmonica, since it's the same type of reed making the sound. But if you don't want a melodica, there are literally thousands of inexpensive electronic keyboards available to purchase, or I bet you can even find a bunch being given away on Craigslist or something. Almost any electronic keyboard of almost any size will probably do. The only thing I really don't want you to, to use is an app on your smartphone. The problem with touchscreen instruments is that they completely eliminate any sense of connection between your kinesthetic awareness, which is the internal feeling of your body and movement and its position in space, and the sound coming from the instrument. There's a beautiful melding of your mind with the physical world when you can feel a tactile relationship between movements of your body and the moving parts of an instrument, and that feeling is at least preserved to some extent with electronic keyboards, but not at all with touchscreen software apps. 
that's what makes me so mad every time I see a music teaching journal article or something claiming that we all need to be using iPads and touchscreens in every music classroom. I just 100% disagree. By all means, give students more screen time in school if you want them to be less connected to reality, less sensitive to each other, and less in touch with their own minds and bodies, but call me crazy if that doesn't seem like a world I want to live in. Okay, so that's my soapbox moment of, uh, for the day. Moving on. So get yourself a comfortable analogish keyboard and look at how the black keys are grouped in alternating twos and threes. Set the thumb of your right hand, or the pinky of your left if that's your dominant hand, on the white key just, just to the left of the first black key from one of the groups of two black keys. So look for a spot with two white keys in a row with no black key in between them. Set your thumb or pinky on the white key to the, on the right of those two. And then to the right of that, you should see a group of two black keys. You're not going to use the black keys, but this is just to figure out where to set your uh, thumb or pinky first. And let each of the other fingers of the hand rest on the next white key down the line to the right. Those are your five pitch options. I want you to play the rhythm sequence you chose of the ones you made up on the keyboard using only these pitch options. So the one that you have solidly practiced, the one rhythm sequence you've solidly practiced and gotten solidified in your mind, that's the one you're going to play on the keyboard, but you can only use those five pitches, those five keys. You don't have to use all five keys, but you do have to use more than one. Each syllable of your rhythm sequence you'll play on a key, holding down the key for as long as the syllable lasts. And of course, you can repeat a key as many times as you like. So I'm going to just demonstrate how I would do this assignment on my melodica using my rhythm sequence that we solidified earlier. Ta, 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 taka di mi ta di, di ta. Here it is. Now the way I chose which key would go with which uh, rhythm syllable was not really conscious or planned. I just kind of... Um, let my fingers be the guide because each of my fingers was already set on a different key. I just kind of wiggled my fingers around and did what felt natural, and that's what came out. Uh, and so, because you put if you put your hand in the right place, like I <laughs> like I uh, instructed you to do, then that's the kind of thing that will that should come out. It'll sound good almost no matter what order you tap the keys in. So, play around with it and find something that sounds good to you. Just find a keyboard and make up a song just like that. Have fun, and we'll start learning to understand melodies in Lesson 4. Now in case you want to hear the full tracks or even the full albums, whence came the recordings I used in this lesson, here's what to look up. The first clip, the ragtime piano piece in meter of two, is called Summertime Rag, and it was performed by Bob Milne on his 1995 album The Midnight Express. After that, the minuet in meter of three was the minuet number one from George Friedrich Handel's Music for the Royal Fireworks, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Sir Charles Macaris, on the 2002 recording on the Testament label called Charles Macaris, Handel, Music for the Royal Fireworks, original version for wind instruments. And then the third clip, for the meter of four, was the African-American spiritual Ezekiel Saw the Wheel, arranged for a mixed choir by William Levi Dawson, and performed by the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeants, on their 2012 album called An American Mosaic, which is a lovely album with lots of folk songs from around the world. Then the first clip in the Takide feel was the traditional Irish jig called Up Sligo, uh, number two, 
and it was performed by Brian Conway on fiddle and Pat Kilbri- Kilbride on sittern, which is like a cousin of the guitar, on the 2002 Smithsonian Folkways album First Through the Gates, which is obviously a great album because I use it a lot for music examples. The second Takide clip was the traditional Uzbek song Harmandali, performed by Komilia, Komila Matieva, who sung and played the tar, Gozal Muminova on Dutar, and Dilbar Bekturdieva on the Daira drum. From another Smithsonian Folkways album, it's volume 4 of their uh, Music of Central Asia series, and it's called Bardic Divas, Women's Voices in Central Asia. The whole Music of Central Asia series, by the way, is really cool, and I think they're up to like 11 volumes now. The first of the polyrhythm clips was a track called Tetigo, and it was performed, as I mentioned, by two Patalangan musicians in Sumatra named M. Sarif and Kondang, the recording comes from Volume 7 of Smithsonian Folkways' uh, Music of Indonesia series, released in 1995 and called Music from the Forests of Riau and Mentawai. The track also appears in Folkways' sampler album called Discover Indonesia. Uh, the second polyrhythm clip was a song called Amidulce Amada, which is Spanish for To My Sweet Beloved, composed by Miguel Santiago Diaz and performed by the, uh, by the group Ecos de Borinquen on the 2003 Smithsonian Folkways album Hibaro Hasta el Hueso, which means Hibaro to the Bone. And then the first clip highlighting the 3322 asymmetrical meter was an Armenian love song composed by Udi Hrant Kenkulian called Sirun Akchik, and it was performed by Richard Hagopian, who sang and played the oud, which is a type of lute, Harold Hagopian on the kanun, which is a type of zither, and Hagop Jack Zarzatian on the dumbek, which is a cool type of hand drum. Uh, it comes from the 1993 Smithsonian Folkways album Armenian Music Through the Ages, and the whole album is full of songs in asymmetrical meters, so if you want to explore more of that exciting flow of musical time, this is a good album to listen to. And finally, the clip of Dave Brubeck's famous Blue Rondo a la Turk originally appeared on the Dave Brubeck Quartet's seminal 1959 album, Time Out, but the recording is widely anthologized and I found it on the 1966 album, Dave Brubeck's Greatest Hits. So, as I always say, if you enjoyed listening to any of these clips, please look up the full tracks and support the musicians who made them. I especially recommend going to Smithsonian Folkways Recordings' website and purchasing directly from them. They have digital downloads available, you can sample and buy individual tracks, and they have a very good reputation for paying royalties to folk musicians all over the world. Anyway, that's it for me. I'll catch you next time, and happy listening. <laughs>